0: Good to be with you today, and it's good to see some familiar faces. Uh, I've been retired for about a a year and three months now, and I I learned real quick that when you're retired, it's kind of you're out of sight, out of mind, you know. Uh, This is like the second time I've preached since I've retired almost, you know, I just just don't get the calls once you get uh, out, and I'm thankful for Skyler inviting me to come preach today. I'm used to doing that. I love to supply when I can. And, and uh, so I just encourage you guys to to pray for me this morning as I p- preach the word. Uh, it's a message that uh, God put in my heart uh, one morning in my quiet time. And, uh, uh, and I worked on it. And, and, and this is the first time I preached it. So uh, except to myself. I've been preaching to myself for several days. So uh, you guys pray for me as we go through. That uh, The scripture passage is out of Second Chronicles 34, and uh, we'll get there in a, in a moment and have an opportunity to walk through that. I have my wife, Cindy, with me uh, this morning. She has been uh, retired for about three months, and uh, after 40 years in the classroom, she, uh, she took a break. And so uh, we're, we're adjusting to life in a different way today. Uh, in this day and age. We're uh, both retired, both have a lot of freedom to do what we want to do and go where we want to go. So uh, we just, uh, we do that and we enjoy it. And uh, I, I, I will tell you that you have to find other ways to do ministry. After doing 34 years of college ministry, uh, I have to find new ways of doing ministry. Uh, ways of like uh, teaching a Sunday school class or uh, a prayer ministry that, uh, that I've developed in my own time, quiet time every day uh, of praying specifically for different uh, situations every day. And uh, Trinity is on my list to pray for. Uh, and uh, so uh, you guys, uh, uh, it's an adjustment being out of, out of a full-time vocational ministry. So for me, uh, I've had to find new ways for God to use me. And I think I'm doing that, and uh, so we're grateful for that. Now, to the message. Uh, titled Influence. Uh, Influence is uh, something that uh, I want to bring out today because I feel like that uh, all of us understand that that we have influence. We just don't always use our influence the way that God would uh, want us to. Several years ago, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes developed a, a poster. It has a, a, a man and a little boy, a young man and a little boy, walking on, on across an athletic field. All you see is their back. And, and the title of the poster was Influence. And it's kind of taken off of the FCA, one of their camps, and, and, and all, and how this little boy was influenced by this athlete. Uh, I thought that was an appropriate way to to get in our head the the concept of influence. This young man was making a difference in this little boy's life that week, okay? And uh, all of us can and do have influence in our world. It may be on your job. It may be in your home. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be on the campus. All of us have influence in this world. And we have an opportunity to influence people one way or the other. Sometimes it's for the good and sometimes it's not for the good. All of us can have influence. So we ask yourself, are we using that influence to help others draw closer to God? See, I believe that everybody is to be out there on the front lines for God. Every Christian is to be out on the front lines for God, influencing people toward Christ. That's what our job is. That's what we're called to do. More than anything else that we do in life, we're to be missionaries in this world today. Every other part of our life is just secondary. Being a a minister in the name of God. We're all called ministers. Even though we, we don't do it as a vocation, all of us are ministers. And we're all called to be an influence in our world today and point people toward Christ. Point them toward the gospel. The gospel that Christ can and can't alone can change our lives. Today we're going to look at a text about Josiah. Now, Josiah may be a familiar name to you, uh, he may not be, but uh, Josiah was the king of Judah, okay? Uh, Judah is uh, Israel was a one one nation for a long time, and then after Solomon, the kingdom split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Judah is where Jerusalem is, okay, and the surrounding area. And so Josiah was the king of Judah. He became king, and when he looked back at the kings that had come before him. He realized that some of them had been evil. And all you got to do is read the, the Scripture in First and Second Chronicles. And what I did is I'd, write, I'd underline their name, and then I'd underline whether they were good or evil. <laughs> and uh, that's the way I kind of reminded myself of these guys. And if you look at a list, about half of them are good and about half of them are evil that, after Solomon. And so you have this group of people that, that Josiah, his heritage was not real good because he had a lot of evil people in his background, okay? But every situation that you come to in life, every person has to decide whether they will walk in a good path or walk in an evil path. That's the decision, and each king made that decision. So Josiah had these these ancestors that had been some good, some evil. The evil kings when they were there, they influenced the people to walk away from God. They challenged the people to walk away from God and to worship pagan gods, okay? But the good kings, when they came to power, they would influence the people to come back to God, okay? Josiah was a good king, all right? And uh, so I'm going to look at the text. I'm going to look at a lot of verses in chapter 34 of 2 Chronicles. Uh, I'll jump or, jump through the book. I'm going to read through uh, verses 1 through 8, verses 14 through 19, 29 through 33. So almost the entire chapter. It said, Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the 8th year of his reign, in other words, when he was 16, Uh, While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the baals in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and carved metal and metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priest on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the city of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah and... Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the reporter to repair the house of the Lord his God. Now jump down to verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law the Lord had given Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king and all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and they have given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And then down to verse 29 through 33. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up from the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So, a lengthy reading, but uh, you you need to get it all so you get the story uh, in your heart and in your head. Josiah, remember, he was 8 years old when they made him king. 8 years old. What does an 8-year-old do as a king? I mean, I don't know that he really could rule uh, effectively as an 8-year-old, but he was chosen as a part of the descendants of David to be on the throne, and so he was. And so Josiah was, he was a son that was left and he, he was selected when the last king died. So Josiah becomes the king, eight years old, probably surrounded by some really good people that helped him to, to, to learn and grow. Uh, but when he was uh, 16, it says he makes a personal decision to seek the God of David, his father. He he made a decision right there to say, I'm going to walk in the ways of God. David walked in the ways of God. Solomon did to some extent, and others had throughout the history of Israel and uh, Judah. But he said right there, my decision is to walk with God, to seek the Lord. At 20 years of age, he began to purge the land of the pagan gods and worship that had come into the land because of the last king that was there. And uh, so he, he does something there. He takes action in that first eight verses as I read. He kind of made a tour of the, the land. And he's tearing down the altars and he's, he's crushing the idols and he's burning things and he's grinding it into power, powder and he's getting rid of it. He is purging the land of the evil that it... In, had infiltrated the land. And so, already as a young man, 20 years of age, he has influence. And he's influencing the nation. And that's really important to get that in your head as we talk about this. At age 26, he has done most of whatever he's going to do in the land. And then he has the temple that has gone into disrepair Because of all this pagan worship. And he sees the temple and he knows that he needs to repair the temple. And so he sends uh, different leaders and he tells them to repair the temple. uh, Because it's in disrepair. Um, There had been pagan worship that had been taken into the temple. And different things like that. And so Josiah says, we need to clean this place up. Okay? And so uh, that's what he ordered. To do in the process of repairing the temple, they found the book of the law. Now, my commentary said that this was probably a portion of or all of the book of Deuteronomy, was probably what it was that they found. It'd be in a scroll form, and they brought it to Josiah from the temple, and uh, it is read to him by Shaphan. Okay. And so when he hears what the book of the law says, when he hears the book of Deuteronomy being read to him, what happened in Josiah's heart was his heart was broken over the sinfulness of his nation, over the, the distance that had grown between them and God, over the lack of corporate worship there in the temple as the people of God. And so Josiah is repentant and remorseful for himself, but also for the nation. As the leader of the nation, he is crying out to God and, and repenting of the, the situation he was in. And uh, it says that when he finished that, he calls the elders from the nation. That would be the, 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 the people of Judah and Benjamin that lived out in the area, he would call them into where he was in Jerusalem. And he asked them to hear the book of the law. And he read to them the book of Deuteronomy, basically. And, and as a result of that, he then makes a commitment to, uh, to them and to God that he is going to walk in the ways of God. He's going to follow the book, okay? He's going to follow this book. And for us today, what would be a modern thing would be, we would read the Bible and we would decide that we're going to live by the Word of God, okay? That's basically what Josiah was doing. He's going to live by the Word of God. And so, uh, you know, he brought in people who were leaders in the nation, and then they were to take that back to their people that they were kind of over and their families, and lead them to go that direction as well. So he's, he's not only influencing them, he's calling them to influence other people as well. As a result of what he did, Josiah did, the nation turned back to God. Turned away from pagan worship and turned back to God. And for the last 15 years or so of his reign, the people walked with God. And if you go on and read history uh, of uh, of the of the nations of both Israel and Judah, what you find is they just keep going this up and down, up and down. Good king, bad king, mostly bad king. And as they got far enough down, God finally said enough is enough, and He sent them off into, into captivity. Uh, and so uh, Josiah, though he was he was really at a, he was a bright spot in their history, you might say. He had influence, and he used his influence to draw the people back to God, and that's important. So I want to talk about a few things that we can learn from the story of Josiah, and that's what I want to uh, emphasize, make the application, you might say, to our own lives uh, every day. First of all, God uses people, just ordinary people, who are willing and obedient to follow God, to follow his will and his ways, to follow his word. God uses people who will do that. Willing people. Age doesn't matter. Josiah was eight years old when he became the king. Age doesn't matter. He was 16 when he decided, I'm going to seek after the Lord. He was 20 when he's starting to purge the land. He's 26 when he gets the temple repaired and moves people back. Age doesn't matter. You can be an influence all along the way. And I hope that I'm still an influence. I'm 67. I hope I'm still having some influence along the way in somewhere, mostly with my grandkids, and, and uh, trying to influence their life a little bit, some positive things that I have uh, opportunity there. And uh, we need to always consider that we need to be an example. Uh, over in First Timothy, chapter four, verse 12. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy uh, is a pastor, uh, and he is one of Paul's uh, disciples. You might say he's one who had been uh, discipled by Paul. And now Paul's writing him a letter. He wrote him First and Second Timothy, and he, and he wrote him these letters to encourage him, to instruct him, and uh, uh, to help him. And, and in verse uh, 12 of chapter 4, He says these words. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So Paul is saying to Timothy, you be an example. You be an example to those people that you have influence over You set an example, and it gives him these different things. He said, first of all, in your speech, the way you talk. We ought to be an example in our speech to the world around us. People ought not hear, uh, James talks about the tongue and how that blessing and cursing shouldn't come out of the same mouth, okay? And so we ought to be an influence with the way we speak out in the world that that we are in, in our sphere of influence. Uh, And in our conduct, the way we act. We ought to be an influence in the way we act. Set an example by the way we act. You ever find yourself acting bad? You know? <laughs> Don't we all? Yesterday, we are coming through Oklahoma City back from uh, been over in eastern Oklahoma to my granddaughter's uh, birthday party, and we're coming back through the city. And uh, things were really getting slow on I-40, and we didn't know why because... Had no idea, couldn't see up ahead, uh, but we stayed in the line because that's the road we're on. Okay, uh, there were other ways you could have got around that, but I didn't know it at the time. We're sitting there, and and this uh, this van wanted in in front of us. So, being trying to be polite, I let him in. And so I'm thinking, I don't want, I want to keep doing that. And when you let people in, you just keep getting further back in line, you know. And so, uh, so finally, this guy next to us in the lane, he's waving and gets Cindy's attention. And she rolls her window down. And he goes, I'm with that guy. Can you let me in, too, you know. <laughs> and I, so we let him in, too. And I said, if another guy comes up and says he's with that guy, I'm not sure I'm going to let him in. But, uh, But, you know, our conduct... The way we act in life, sometimes uh, it, it can be a real witness for our faith or it can be a real downer for our faith, the way we act. We just have to be an example of an, in our conduct. And he says, in love. We ought to be people who love. Love one another. It's easy to love people that you really like, you know. We love people like that. But Jesus said you ought to love your enemies. Boy, that's a lot harder, isn't it? Love your enemies. And so he says, be an example in love. Be an example in faith. Faith is that belief that, that, that we have, that God has put in us. We ought to be an example of that kind of faith, that we trust God no matter what. And finally, he says, in purity, the way we have our moral life ought to be an example to the world around us. So Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Be an example. Age doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. Be an example to the world around you. You know, this is this thought came to me as I was preparing this sermon that when it comes to spiritual awakenings in the world, and if you've studied any of that or read about any of that, about spiritual awakenings in the world... There are two things that almost every spiritual awakening across this world have in common. One is prayer. That people who seriously get down on their face before God and call out to God for revival, for for God to turn the hearts of people to Him. Prayer is extremely important in a spiritual awakening. We prayed for the city this morning, for the things that are going on here that God would turn this this city toward him. So that's a, that's, that's a beginning place. Prayer is always a prelude to God's great work, okay? Second thing that they, these awakenings have in common is young people. Almost every great awakening was stirred by the hearts of college students. And that, that's why I love college students so much is they, they can move things quickly, and and they can have influence quickly, uh, and and uh, they can, they, they, their hearts are ready and willing to go with God when God grips their heart. Those two things are really important when it comes to a spiritual awakening, and I'm not the only factors, and you shouldn't discount the fact that, uh, you know, I'm 67 and I can't still have some part in that, because I can pray and I can have influence on people's lives, but the reality is, that so many people that, uh, that are my age have, ha- that are not walking with God have decided that God's not a part of their life and will never be a part of their life and that they just ignore that and they've hardened their hearts to the point that they're not going to ever pursue after God. That's not always true, but it is true a lot. <clears throat> Young people are more pliable. Their hearts are more ready and more open to hear from God. And so it's an opportunity. And so God works through those two things, prayer and young adult. So second thing we can learn from Josiah's story is that every person makes a personal decision to walk with God. Josiah did when he was 16. He said, I'm going to seek the God of my father David. I'm going to do that. That's the decision that he made at that point in time. You know, God calls us. He seeks after us. He, He pursues us. And when he does, uh, we, we can decide, we decide whether we're going to say yes or no. Josiah said, I'm going to pursue God when he was 16. For me, I was a college freshman when I said I'm gonna pers- I want to I walk with God. God spoke to my heart one night in a church service. I grew up in church. I grew up, I went to everything in church. But I didn't know Christ. I just knew a lot about Christ. I had all the BBS answers. I knew it all. But I didn't know Jesus. And so one night, while we were in in a revival service, God spoke to my heart, drew me to himself. I surrendered. I surrendered. I was 18, college freshman. And I've never regretted that decision to follow Christ in my life and and to give my heart over to Him. Josiah decided to, to pursue after God. He decided to seek the God of his father David and, and when God spoke to my heart, I made that decision too. Every one of us has an opportunity to make a personal decision to follow Christ. Third thing we learn is once we become a follower of Christ, we must be obedient god's word and the leadership of the holy spirit that's in us once we become a follower we become obedient to the leadership of holy spirit and his word josiah read the word of god and it broke his heart you know he didn't he didn't up to that point he didn't know the word of god he had never read it hadn't been read in the nation it hadn't been read in the temple until he heard the, the, the book of Deuteronomy read to him, he didn't know, but in his heart, Josiah knew. You just think about it. Before, he's 26 when he hears the word of God read for the first time. But before that, he had already cleansed the land of the pagan worship because he knew that was wrong. He knew that was not the way the nation was supposed to go. And so he took steps to go. So he, he, once he heard the word of God, he was totally broken by the word of God. And he was obedient to that word and to the work of of God in his life. You know, we live in a world and a culture that is going away from God, not toward God. Our world is not running toward God, okay? It's running uh, away from God. And and I would say to us that we need to be standing firm in God's word if we're going to make a difference in our world. The fourth thing we can learn from Josiah's story is we must lead others to know and to understand God's words and ways. So what does Josiah do once he hears the word of God? He calls the elders. These are leaders in the land. He calls them to to Jerusalem and he says, hey, I got something I want you to hear. Listen to this word. And so he he lays it out. He says, all right, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to make a covenant with God that I'm going to follow this, but you're going to follow it too. He, he pretty much, as the king, just tells them, you're going to follow this too. You're going to go back and lead people to follow this too. We're going to get this right with God as a nation. And that's what he did. He influenced them. Josiah had a, what I call a circle of influence, or a sphere of influence. People that were leaders in the land, and he, he took and used his sphere of influence to make a difference in the land. You think about that. Who is in your sphere of influence? Who do you cross paths with on a regular basis that you have an influence over? Maybe it's uh, in a, a, a job situation, people that you work around all the time, you see them all the time. Maybe it's in your neighborhood, people that you cross paths with. Regularly, just as you interact in the neighborhood. Maybe it's people that you uh, go to school with. Uh, maybe it's people that you have uh, uh, influence over as a, a teacher or uh, uh, somebody who works in, in a situation where there are kids there. You have influence. You have a sphere of influence, and God has given you that. And in a real sense, it's, it's your mission field, in a real sense that it's the sphere of influence that you have. You know, <clears throat> we need to use that sphere of influence to make a difference. Back over in uh, the book of 2 Timothy this time, not 1 Timothy, but 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust the faithful man Who who will be able to teach others also we need to use our influence first of all to be a disciple to grow in our own faith to to, uh, walk with God where he wants us to walk with to be a person who obeys the word of God and, and, and walks with him on a day to day basis but also we're told to teach others teach others what you know what the word of God says teach others that's our that's our call to do that. Timothy was told, teach others. There's a reason behind that. So that they then would be prepared to teach others. It perpetuates the Christian faith year after year, generation after generation. You read the Psalms; that says, one generation tells the other generation. That's, a, that's our responsibility. We have to pass on the hope that we have in Christ. We have to pass on the gospel message to the next generation. So that they can know that's what influence is all about here we need to be a disciple we need to be a, be a person who is a discipler and we need to be a disciple maker being a disciple maker means we're preparing people who go out and teach the same truth of the word of god that we taught them that's what we need to do we are ambassadors for christ paul tells us that in in second uh, corinthians we are ambassadors for christ we are his representatives in the world and we need to influence the world that we're in by making and being a good example in all these areas. Don't waste the opportunity that God has put in your life or mine. We, ne- we need not waste that opportunity. We have an opportunity there to influence people. <clears throat> John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And, and just th- th- that title just kind of rung in my head as I was thinking about this sermon that we shouldn't waste our life. We ought to make a difference every day where we live day after day. So, you might ask, how can I have that influence? How can I do that? I want to suggest to you uh, some ways that you can have influence today. First of all, you can pray consistently. That is one of the ways you can have influence. Pray consistently. That you set aside time on a day-to-day basis that you are going to lift up situations in life. I I use a prayer list personally. That's just the way I do it. And on that prayer list, I list things that I'm praying for. I pray for some things every day. I pray for uh, I'll just kind of give you my little story here. I pray for my family. I pray for my four brothers that i meet with on a week-to-week basis. I pray for them. I pray for the ministry of the BCM. Imagine that. Uh, Every day. On Mondays, I pray for the churches in Weatherford and the pastors and the leaders of those churches. And different people that I have on that list as well. I also pray for all the BCM directors across the state um, on Monday. On Tuesday, I pray for my friends from China that I know that I've had influence with and I've had opportunities to meet over the years that I've been traveling there. And uh, <clears throat> different things on that list. On Wednesday, I pray for people that I know that are in ministry. Uh, people that are, maybe they were students before when they were in the ministry with us, they were students or whatever, but they, I pray for those people on those days. And on Thursday, I pray for my neighborhood, and uh, and and other people uh, that are on that list. On Friday, I pray for my siblings. I'm not siblings. Yeah, I pray for my siblings. I pray for my extended family, and all. And so I make a. I have a prayer list, and then I have this page over here that just adds things to every day. What I do, pray consistently. And, and really, for me, that's, that's been a, uh, one of the joys of retirement is I've, I've been able to get more disciplined in my prayer life uh, as I've gone along, to pray consistently for, for people. And it's pray to specifically for those people along the way. And also to act on those prayers. You know, just praying for somebody, sometimes God may lead you to act on those prayers. And so we do that. Now one of the ways you have influence is through prayer. Another way is that you need to obey the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Obey the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> a few years ago, I had a couple of students that uh, met uh, each other uh, at, at the, our building at the BCM. They prayed together, and then they went up on campus, and they walked on campus looking for God to open, a, open their eyes to see a need of anybody on campus that, that, that God would want them to minister to. And so they did that. And they did that week after week after week after week. Had, uh, they had many opportunities out of, that grew out of that. And that was a blessing uh, and to see them acting like that. Obeying God by going out and, and following his leadership. And finally, be available. Be available to God. Uh, Isaiah said... Here, my Lord, send me. If you read that whole cha- Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah realizes he's a sinner and and all, what happens there is he he goes, I'm a sinner, I, you know, and then he gets cleansed of his sin, and then God asks, Who will go for us? And he says, Here, my send me. And God says, You go to this people. They're not going to listen, and they're not going to repent but you go and be faithful. And Isaiah was. He went and he was faithful to a people that God had already told him, they're not going to change. But you go anyway and you take my message to them. Interesting. We need to be available to God. <clears throat> In 1971, I was uh, starting my senior year at campus at Southwestern. Um, I, uh, I, ha- I really enjoyed college. I did. I had a great time. Made a lot of friends. Enjoyed college. But in, a, in the fall of 1971, uh, I was invited uh, by a guy to come and, and sit in on a, and participate in a prayer meeting. And so I, I did. And uh, out of that prayer meeting for about a month, We met weekly to pray for the campus, pray for God to do a work on our campus. Uh, Out of that grew a Bible study. And also out of that began uh, a movement on campus that God began to do a great work uh, in the lives of college students on campus. And uh, um, people were from a variety of walks of backgrounds were coming to Christ. People who uh, were in the leadership of campus as far as student leadership goes, whether it be student government or fraternities, sororities, uh, people who were from the hippie drug culture background uh, were coming to to Christ. Uh, And out of that God began to do just this fantastic work, Uh, a work that uh, I had never experienced uh, had not experienced it before then nor since a movement of God like that Uh, it was a mighty work of God that happened God appeared on the hill just a little side note as a result of that uh, it was about uh, shortly after that explosion of, of college students coming to Christ at Trinity Baptist Church uh, was formed to reach the college students at Southwestern. And they met right there across the street from the campus in, uh, in one of the old churches there. What a wonderful story of God doing a great work. But you know what? That all started with prayer and with a group of young college students who believed that God could make a difference on our campus. Josiah had influence, and you have influence. And wherever you go this week, this year, you have an opportunity to influence people around you. Pray for them. Pray that God will work in their hearts. Pray that God will bring a revival in their life as well as in this community, wherever it is. We live in a tough world, and we need God to work. So let's be an influence for him. Join me as we pray. Father God, we come before you today, and we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of, of the family of faith, your family. We ask you, Lord, to bless the time that we have now of invitation Lord a response time Lord a, a time where our hearts are led by your spirit to make a response whether it's there privately in the in the seat or whether it's publicly in front of the church to make a response Lord but help us Lord to be obedient help us Lord to be uh, mindful of, of the fact that You have called us as your children to make a difference in this world. I pray, Lord, that uh, those that are here that know you will commit, make a covenant with you to use their influence to point people toward Christ and the gospel. And for those that might be here today that don't know you, Lord, we pray that you would begin to stir their hearts to call them to pursue and seek after you Lord, that you would draw them to yourself and do a work in their life, a work of salvation and a work of spiritual development after that. Now, Lord, just uh, bless this time of invitation. Uh, May your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with us as we sing. I'll be here at the front. If uh, any of you need to talk with me, I'll be available. Maybe you need to go to somebody else here that you know in the congregation and just talk with them and pray with them but I'm here if you need to talk